This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast where my friend Joe and I rap about hardcore comics over hardcore drum beats. My name is Matt Baum. <laughs> I write about and appraise comicsforworthpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska, and artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. This week, you'll hear reviews of Sherlock Holmes, Year One, Number One, and Batman and Robin, Number 20. We'll look ahead to some of next week's comics and answer some of your burning questions. But before we get to all that nonsense, let's talk about this week's big news. We all know who died recently in the pages of Fantastic Four number 587, and now we know who'll be replacing the Human Torch. It seems our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man will be joining the team wearing one of those new snazzy white outfits, but they won't be called the Fantastic Four. As of the upcoming relaunch of FF number one, the team will be known as the Future Foundation. Is this yeah. good news, Joe, or were you hoping for the reunion of the Ghost Rider, Hulk, Wolverine, and Spider-Man FF? <laughs> well, I would uh, enjoy that. I loved those issues. Art Adams I did those? too. It was Arthur Adams. They yeah. were great. They were fun. Uh, but yeah, I've seen the promo art. Uh, there's the Epting painted cover that's been released and the Daniel Acuna uh, variant cover. Both of which I thought look awesome. Yeah, they look good. Um, the white outfits are weird, and I like them. I like it too. It looks super science, sci-fi. You know what? They look patrol. just like Jonathan Hickman diagrams. Sort of. And like Challenges of the Unknown kind of yeah. outfits. I think it's a great idea. We had a, kind of a debate in the shop er, earlier in the week about what the FF stood for. Because obviously it doesn't stand for Fantastic Four. And uh, there there was talk around the shop that it was going to stand for First Family. And it was going to be like or all... Fantastic the, Family or something. Yeah, something like that. And it was going to be like uh, Reed and Sue and Ben and the kids adventuring as a larger group. And this is sort of that with the addition of all the genius kids. Which is very cool. I like the Future from Foundation the think story a lot. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting, and I really like that the Human Torch dies, and they don't just go, okay, new Fantastic Four member, let's bring Luke Sheen. Cage, let's go! Yeah, Wolverine, get in here. You know, oh, like, man. No. I, I think it's interesting that the family is broken, and now they're going to become something else. They're going to become the Future Foundation instead of staying the Fantastic Four. Because it's not right to do it without Johnny. It right. isn't. Yeah, and I mean, it, does Spider-Man need to be in another book on another team? No, but it makes the most sense with him because he was basically the fifth member of the family, and to have him in the book feels right. And a tech guy. Yeah. And human, one of the Human Torch's best a friends. A tech guy. Yeah, he's a he's a Reed Richards, nerd. man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying, but what I'm saying is he's a science nerd. He fits right in. He's a scientist. Yes, he's he wor- fits in right in. his book, he's working in a think tank right now. And yeah, like, yeah. Horizon. And let's not forget, this guy made web fluid, which is like amazing for what it does. And no one else has ever been Should able to make it. Should have been a millionaire. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's going to be uh, a ton of fun. And I. Uh, it feels like Hickman has been planning this. You can look back. I, I said that he didn't build up the Human Torch when we dis- debated it, and then I immediately, re- like, after the fact, I read all these articles where he was dropping these hints, and you can see that he is building this story. It feels like he's been building it since the beginning. Marvel made it a gimmick, but I think that this is, like, an organic... Yeah, I don't blame him for the death uh, and stuff like that. I think he had an idea yeah. for the story, and it works very well, and it's carrying over into this future Foundation story, which was always there to begin with, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. In Hollywood news, a trailer for the upcoming X-Men First Class, directed by Matthew Vaughn, hit the net this week. And nerds everywhere breathed this sigh of what could only be considered confused relief. I know I did. 
Matt, do you feel better about First Class after seeing that trailer, or are you still riding the hate train with all the other internet hobos? I think the thing that bothers me and bothers most of the nerds that I've seen online is the choice of characters for this movie. Grant Morrison's angel character with the girl I just with, got in a fight on Facebook the about this wings. very you know, thing yesterday. I think that is that was my main issue for hating on this idea. It just didn't sound like... you know, And as we all are continuity purists, and we're all comic nerds, and when they start messing around... <coughs> With the history and putting characters there that don't belong there that are, like, way too close to young Professor X's age. It's just, ugh, it sets off all kinds of alarms. But I will say, watching the trailer, it did not look bad. Given that trailers are designed to show us the best parts <laughs> right, of the movie. Right, right, right. You know, and tickle your nerd pickle, if you will. Oh, I mean, if it doesn't do don't that. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> if it doesn't do that, there's something severely wrong with the film. I will say Matthew Vaughn is a very talented director. I didn't love Kick-Ass, but I did like it. I think it was his weakest film, in my opinion. But this has potential to be good. I'm just going to have to divorce myself from the fact that it's not necessarily the X-Men story I want to see. Well, yeah. I mean, my stance on the issue is that we've already had movies with the traditional characters. Give me an X-Men movie with lesser-known characters. I'm into it. I don't care so much about the continuity. You have to let that go. No one is going to follow course, continuity. Of course. And this movie like takes Iron place in Man the 60s. And Iron Man 2, which were successes, they didn't necessarily follow Iron Man continuity. They switched it up a bit, but it still very much worked, and it felt like our Iron Man. It, what is, the basic core idea of the, of the property is what's important. Like, the fact that, you know, Xavier and Magneto start off as partners. Yeah. Magneto like, gets darker. And I like both the actors they, that they grow chose to, yeah, to I, Yes, parts. I absolutely agree. The X-Men fighting against uh, uh, fighting to protect a world that hates and fears them. That is the tagline of the X-Men. Yeah, and it looks like it's there. <clears throat> yeah. And it's set, they said it in the 60s, which is fun. Although they're flying around in an SR-71 Blackbird. <laughs> hey, man, pretty Professor sure wasn't X built is the loaded. And I'm pretty sure Lockheed built it, not Professor X. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Lockheed, he's a dragon, right? No, Lockheed the... I know, I'm forget kidding. About Come it. on. Anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there are things that I find very strange. Like, yeah, why is Azazel... Nightcrawler's weird yeah. red demon dumb. dad the, the in the movie. Chuck Austin Nightcrawler devil dad. Just yeah. dumb. Like, I don't mind Grant Morrison's angel being in it so much, but... Um, I do. Like, I love that Havoc is in it. Because Why? I love Havoc. Banshee's gonna be in it. You could put young Warren Worthington there. Let's just put Angel But see, there. if they're going to try to link the old movies with the new, they didn't introduce... Warren Worthington until the last movie, and he I was spo- young. I suppose. But he was also still just hanging around. Everybody knew him. It wasn't like, like oh, welcome to the school, Warren. No, it was like... Frazier's going to be in it? been here all along. <laughs> Frazier's going to be or, in well, it. Okay, he's not Frazier. But yeah, I think it, it. the trailer has me cautiously optimistic. It still might be terrible. And I was ready to write it off. But that trailer has me thinking that I might not be right about that. Yeah, the consensus seems to be... This might not be the train wreck we thought it was going to be. That's right. That's a good way to put it. And I will say if they ditch the demon stuff and they just make Azazel another mutant yeah, that ends up hooking up with Mystique. I might be okay with that. Then I'm satisfied. What my problem was not that. If he's the devil, we have an issue. Yeah, my problem was never that Nightcrawler's dad was revealed to be just like him but red. No, it was that they said he was the devil. Yeah. Which is the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) Cut that out. Now we're talking. Well, that's it for big news this week. If you've got some stories that you want us to discuss, hit us up on our Facebook page where the hate train never gets derailed. No, sir. All right, let's move on to our reviews. Uh, these comics came out on Wednesday, February 9th. 
Matt, what do you got for us this week? This week, I read Sherlock Holmes Year One Number One from Dynamite Publishing, or Dynamite Entertainment, pardon me. It was written by Scott Beatty, art by Daniel Indro, and it was colored by Tony Avina. Scott Beatty spins a tale of young Sherlock Holmes becoming an investigator by, of course, solving a mystery. The story is complete with a Watson and even what looks to be a young Professor Moriarty. This time, a young Holmes is pitted against a criminal group of servants who look to rob their nouveau riche masters, but instead of investigating the crime, he's actually working as a servant for the party that is about to be robbed. Yeah, he kind of stumbles into it. Yeah, which is, it's fun. He's young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I really enjoyed this, and honestly, Dynamite, for the most part, has done a really good job with their licensed properties. Their their classic heroes, like the Lone Ranger and Zorro, and this latest Sherlock Holmes really is no exception at all. Beatty has... Worked on some other classic detective tales like Cross Gen's Ruse with Mark Wade that I loved back in the day. Never really read good. it. Oh, really? I'm oh. excited for the uh, the Marvel version. You're a Mark Wade nerd. You've never read Ruse. I had kind of like a Cross Gen boycott going on. Oh, you big baby. All right, let's get back to what we were saying. Though I, I can't say I've been a big <laughs> fan of a lot of Beatty's other work. I, I read some of his Buck Rogers and didn't love it. But judging by Ruse and this Sherlock Holmes story that he's writing now, I would say that Victorian mystery is right in Beatty's wheelhouse. His dialogue is perfect without being overly flowery or Shakespearean, and it's which is a really easy place for non-British writers to go when writing British characters. Just How do you know he's not British? Because I looked at his Wikipedia page and it says he's an American-born comic book Man, writer. Man, I've written Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could get on there and make him an Ethiopian-born comic <laughs> writer. I thought it was really clever to tell the story through you know, through Watson's narration. It gives the comic a very traditional Sherlock Holmes feel. It's complete with a scene where Holmes breaks down the crime piece by piece after the traditional elementary, my dear inspector line. Just a lot of fun. And there's a lot of stuff for new readers to glom onto here and for fans of the Sherlock Holmes genre like myself, the classic Sherlock Holmes. Beatty and Dynamite certainly aren't reinventing Sherlock Holmes here, but they're showing us the becoming of Sherlock Holmes, sort of Sherlock Holmes Begins. And I think this book is a lot of fun for anybody who enjoys a good mystery. The art in the book is good. Uh, Penciler Daniel Indro is relatively new to the scene. The only previous work I could find for him that I actually remembered seeing was a Dark 48 one-shot from Digital Webbing. I didn't read it, but... Ah, Digital Webbing. <laughs> yeah. That was back in 2008. Indro is solid, but not always real consistent. He's got a lot of promise. His line work is a little harder edge, but he reminds me of a cross between sort of a Butch Geis and a John Cassidy. You know you know what he looks like early John Cassidy yes, artwork? Yes, absolutely. In the, late 90, in the mid to late 90s, mm-hmm. and even early issues of Planetary. Yeah. Um, he's got a much, his style evolved a lot, and this guy is very reminiscent of that early Cassidy work. It's definitely there. Um, his framing and sequencing are good for the story. He's not pushing any real boundaries here, but it works. There's a few poses that he does that are kind of unnatural, but again, I think that's just because he's a young penciler You're coming, in, coming into his own. Indro has some great crosshatch work that you really don't see pencilers using anymore. I, mainly because it's a pain to do, I'm sure. But if he keeps at this style, I think in a few years, he's really going to be amazing. I uh, I bought the Francesco Francavilla cover. I hope I'm saying that right, Francesco. Francavilla. And, uh, which is fantastic, like all his work. Yes. And not to bash on Indro, but I really wish Francavilla was drawing this title. I just I love his thin line, painted style. Very reminiscent of Tim Sale. And yeah. Would, would really work well. And, you know, it, it it fits more with the tone of the Victorian Absolutely. kind of British. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the art in this issue, 
but the Francesco Francavia cover seems to fit more in line with the story and the yeah. tone of the book. The sepia tones and everything. <clears throat> yeah, I really like it. Really nice old Tommy. Which brings me to the colors. Tony Avina's colors are amazing. He's really good here. He has these deep, dark, contrasting tones that give the story a really sinister feel, especially to the to the night scenes. He's been doing fantastic work for years now on both DC and Dynamite. And if you're interested, I posted a, a video of him talking through how he colors a page on our Facebook page. And yeah, it is interesting stuff. Really cool. Like, I had no idea how much the colorist really does. Uh, anyway, I look forward to the next issue quite a bit. And I, I can't say enough about how well these classic characters are handled at Dynamite. I haven't read the Green Hornet stuff. I was a little turned off by the six to eight variant covers they've been sending out per issue. But I really enjoy their Lone Ranger, and I'm really happy to read another great Sherlock Holmes title. I give this a very strong buy it. Yeah, I'm with you. This book was great. I, you know, I, I don't read Dynamite books really, not as a rule or anything. I just really haven't uh, been interested by too much that they put out. Uh, but, yeah, I really enjoyed this one shot. Uh, I really like the it's past narrated in the history very classic, of Watson. Like Watson's story. Yeah. Because all the Holmes stories were narrated by Watson. His description of like his past in the military, I re- just really enjoy the backstory. Yeah, getting shot um, in Afghanistan. You know, it, it, ad- it adds to the character and sets the tone and the time frame without like seeming like filler or padding. And it doesn't derail the narrative at all. You know, it's just like two pages of Watson telling the reader basically who he is. Yeah, it's really like seven or eight panels. But yeah, I just, I really, really like this book overall. It's very solid. I think the art is good for somebody who hasn't had a lot of exposure. I agree. I think that this guy has potential to go places. I love the fact that Sherlock Holmes basically stumbles into this mystery. Well, yeah, he's young. He's not an, he's not an inspector yet. He's... He's just a guy. Like, he needed a job. So yeah. He's a, he was filling in as a butler for this party for these rich jerks. But, like, even though he's not a detective, he still is Sherlock Holmes, right. you know? And he's, he's super smart, He still arrogant. figures out what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Makes you know, fun of the cops when they show up. Acts like <laughs> he's know? smarter than everybody else yeah. because he is. And totally, like, not afraid to knock a dude out. Yeah. Um, Very much in line with the last Sherlock Holmes movie we saw. Right? Robert Downey Jr. That movie. <laughs> was a little more, you know, physical. Yeah, but I, I, this is a solid book. I gave it a buy. Well, that's a double buy it from Joe and Matt on Sherlock Holmes Year One Number One. So, how about you, Joe? What was your pick this week? Uh, well, my pick was Batman and Robin Number Twenty from DC Comics, uh, written by Pete Tomasi with art by Patrick Gleason and colors by Alex Sinclair. Uh, this is part one of the Dark Knight versus White Knight storyline, and it is titled Tree of Blood. This story opens up with the Wayne boys uh, at home preparing for a nice night together, uh, something that they, I'm sure, have not had a chance to do in a long time, if ever. Yeah, well before Bruce died. Based on the borderline psychopath Batman that we've had for so many years. <laughs> yeah. this We're kind of entering into an era of a... Softer, gentler Batman. Or sort of a Silver uh, Age sexy Batman. Yeah, yeah softer, think. gentler is, uh, I'm making fun, but How do Batman, we in a sexy superhero every week? We were on sexy Superman last week, we are on sexy Batman Maybe week. you need to have a talk with your wife. Maybe we need to have a talk with each other, buddy. Oh, uh, sorry, fiancé. Uh, As we were saying, uh... <laughs> uh, I am totally flustered. <laughs> He's blushing, too. This is fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, we're kind of getting into this time where they've kind of softened Batman a bit. He's no longer like the complete loner, like 
Uh, he's not a jerk even to his closest friends and allies. Right. To the people that he has on on one day adopted as sons and then on the next day like shunned them and forced yeah. them out. I mean, and they needed you know? to get away from it because it was getting they really so did. ridiculous. I, uh, like, I mean, when he fires Robin and he calls in Stephanie the spoiler well, as Robin bad. and she instantly gets killed. He doesn't even have a funeral or care or mention her name. You know, <laughs> like Didn't it, was, it was ridiculous. I mean, you can't have the star of the book. I understand that Batman's a scary guy. Yeah. I got that. And he's very driven, and he has one job to do, and that's what he's going to do. But he doesn't need to be a complete jerk. Like, right. maniac jerk <laughs> to everyone in yeah. his life. You know, there was a time and a place for that sort of character. For right. For the super driven, I work alone kind of Batman. It probably should not have come at a time when the supporting cast was growing monthly. Right. Uh, you're, he's constantly like a, being surrounded I, by sidekicks. Yeah, I want to be near the sociopath. He's <laughs> <it's> <laughs> exactly. so much fun to hang out with. But yeah, we're it's a brand new day for Batman, and uh, things are looking up. He, Bruce is actually here to enjoy this night with his sons and his really his oldest friend Alfred. Yeah, and so that's how the book opens. And then a nice night out at the opera is ruined by what appears to be suicide, and of course is tinged with foul play. Um, and really, really, speaking of coloring, really great coloring. That is why I mentioned Alex Sinclair. This yeah. dude is a pro. Um, his work, he's been around for years. Uh, I'm assuming Alex Sinclair is a he. I did not fact check that. But uh, Alex Sinclair, if you're listening, we're on Twitter. Let us know. Boy are you or girl. A, are you a boy or a girl? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the colors in this book are great. The the uh, Dave, can you fact check that for us, Alex Sinclair, boy or girl? <laughs> We've got our yeah our producer behind the scenes re- ready on Wikipedia at a moment's notice. <laughs> not an, an not a whole lot happens in this book, and I read a review earlier today that uh, used that as a negative. But I loved this comic. You know, it's it's it is all set up for this storyline, but I didn't mind it. Um, you know, not a, a whole lot happens, but the characterization is so strong. The first, like, four pages, uh, I would say right up to the point where the action starts when they're at the opera, those first few pages... They're fantastic. They make this book for me. Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, they, what they do is they establish a new tone for the Bat universe in right. four pages. They establish, this is how it is now. We're all going to... The whole family... Sitting down, doing something together, you know, snacking with each other. Yeah. They're a family. And, and they're happy to be there. It's this, this kind of thing. Tone. Yeah. It's this kind of thing that I think Tomasi excels at. Yeah. As a writer. He his run on Nightwing was good, but Nightwing is a solo character. And so it didn't have like the strong group dynamic that Tomasi brought to like Alex Sinclair is a boy. We're Thank you. <laughs> this or, just in. Pardon me. Alex Sinclair is a man. <laughs> <laughs> so like that that group dynamic that Tomasi brought to like Green Lantern Corps or even like his book he wrote a miniseries called The Light Brigade that was about like this ragtag group of GIs getting mixed up in supernatural business. He is really good at the group dynamic. Uh talking about the art, um Patrick Gleason is just doing the best work of his career. Uh I think I know why the book was late. Like if you look back on Green Lantern Corps, he had a lot of fill-in. Yeah. A lot of guys coming in and drawing two pages out of this issue or three pages out of this issue or half, you know. 
he he it was rare that he would draw a whole comic start to finish so you know they shifted Tomasi and Gleason's launch back three months gave us the Paul Cornell feeling that you loved so much oh yeah it was great <laughs> I really like the girl with the hole in her head <laughs> god it was dumb um you know, and it, I think it paid off because this art is it great. It re- and it's different than what, noticeably different than what he was doing in Green Lantern Corps, where he was drawing Green Lantern Corps very hard-edged with all these weird sort of, like, angles and views to make it feel very sci-fi. And this feels very street-level. feels very Batman to me, real gritty. I mean, it's still very much his art, and it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. But it, he softened it a little bit. It's a little more straightforward, and it, it looks like a Batman comic. I agree. The art is great. Gleason's been a favorite of mine for a long time. I met him at uh, FallCon in Minneapolis, oh, Minnesota, wow. ten years ago. Like before his first work in Noble Causes for oh, Image wow. came out, and uh, you know, I've just watched him ever since then with great interest because I'm like, I knew that I met that guy once. I don't know him. Come on. <laughs> And, you know, just to see him doing this kind of work, work on this level, it's really great to see. It really is. And and my wife contacted him a while ago to do a sketch for me for Valentine's Day. A kilowog. He was going to do a kilowog sketch for me. So great. And he was super excited, and he was like, oh, man, you're the coolest woman in the world. And then he never got back to her and never did the sketch. I love you, Patrick But regardless, I don't feel bad. I understand you're a busy guy. I'm just saying, you owe me a kilowog. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say about the issue. I really, really enjoyed it. Real quick, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, going back to Tomasi's characterization stuff, and Gleason gets credit for this too, I am a huge fan of the super capable Alfred. Yes, I am too. Uh, like The characterization as, of Alfred as like the guy you go to for anything. Right, an ex-military. Yeah. You know, like ex-almost James Bond type character. Like when they portray Alfred as like this kind of, they don't do it a lot, but whenever they, they portray, portray him like Jarvis, yeah, whenever. <laughs> oh dear, sir! It seems the scrolls have invaded. <laughs> but whenever they kind of let uh, uh, Alfred slip into this like feeble older gentleman kind of right. characterization, I immediately pull back. Yeah, because I, I very much Alfred prefer is Alfred. yeah, like you said, he 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 was uh, a he was spy. An MI, he was MI six. Uh, and, like, there's a scene here where he is driving the limo and tying Dick Grayson's bow tie one-handed yeah. without even looking. And that, it's like, it's just our visual uh, cue. And I just love that little detail that Alfred is more capable than anyone you have ever met. I give this book a really strong buy. I'm, I'm with you there as well. I give a strong buy it on this one. I'm really happy that Tomasi has set the tone that he has. The art looks as good as it does, and I feel like I should be buying this book. Because honestly, when Grant Morrison was leaving, it just seemed like a matter of time before we stopped caring about Batman and Robin. So that's a double buy it from Joe and Matt on Batman and Robin as well. Sorry, uh, no big complaints this week, guys. No, yeah. we're not really hating I know much. how much you love it when we hate, but today <laughs> right, we're all called, about the love. Right, well, riding the hobo hate rails. This is <laughs> not a lot of hate going around. With that out of the way, let's take a look at the comics we're excited about for the week of Wednesday, February 16th. Matt? This week, I am pretty excited for the new Silver Surfer book that's coming out. This is a five-issue miniseries by Greg Pak, Steven Segovia, and Carlo Pagulayan. Sorry, Carlo. Yeah, man. I want to love this book. I really do, because I love the Silver Surfer so much, but we have not been given a lot of Silver Surfer to love in the past few years, and I think Greg Pak is a guy who could really knock this one out of the park. Yeah, 
I agree. Uh, his Hulk right now uh, is very good. And I think Pac has what it takes to write a really good introspective, you know, Silver Surfer adventure. Not to mention sci-fi. He's got some real sci-fi chops. Yeah, I mean, Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk was a lot of fun. And I think this will give him a chance to really dig into it. And if there's a character that we can really go nuts with... Silver Surfer. And, and you it's got about the Silver time. Surfer and you got the High Evolutionary on the cover. So this is some deep, nerdy, cosmic Marvel I, stuff. I'm excited. And since we don't have a Nova book and we don't have a Guardians of the Galaxy book, this is what I'm going to have Boo. to go with. Yep. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Me Joe? too. My pick is G.I. Joe Cobra number 13 from ID Dubs. I got that. I stole that from Sean, my friend Sean that does the <laughs> Pull List podcast. Thanks, Sean. ID Dubs. <laughs> uh, this book is by Mike Costa. And Antonio Fuso, I I would not believe me if I told if future Joe went back to past Joe and said Joe GI Joe, it's about chuckles. You're gonna love it. <laughs> future Joe gets out of the DeLorean, <laughs> runs into the comic shop. Uh, but GI Joe Cobra is amazing. I cannot stress that enough. And I know that I'm looking at my friend Matt, and he does not believe me. It's not me. that I don't believe you. It's not that I don't believe you. And I will say, I constantly, I, in the blog that I write, I constantly talk about high, how, how high quality IDW books are because they really do put out good stuff. I just find it really hard to care about G.I. Joe anymore. And I've heard this book is fantastic. I understand. But G.I. Joe Cobra, like, I don't read any of the other G.I. Joe books, I don't like them. G.I. Joe Cobra exists like in its own bubble. Even though they're going to be crossing over, it exists on its own plane of existence. This is probably one of those things that when they put out like a sexy omnibus, I'll pick it up. I and love I'll it. give it a read and I'll be like, damn it, you were right. I love it so much. And I'm telling you, the, the last issue of G.I. Joe Cobra, the ending of that comic knocked me down. I was stunned. And I'm not going to say what happened. It's It's been in the new, on the news sites. Everybody knows by now. I'm not going to be the one to spoil it for you. Buy those comics. They are awesome. And this book is the follow-up to last issue's cliffhanger and the setup to the Cobra Civil War that's coming through the books. I'm not going to read all those books. I'm going to read G.I. Joe Cobra and just, you know, hold on for dear life. But uh, this book is supposed to be like the last chapter of Chuckles' Struggle. You know, he's out in the cold, like sleeper agent style, where he's cut off from G.I. Joe Nobody knows he's a good guy but him. He, he has done something terrible, and now he needs to try to get out alive. And I cannot wait to find out what happens to this guy. I'm telling you, you need it. You need G.I. Joe Cobra in your life. Make it happen. Okay, I will, I will look into G.I. Joe Cobra. All Thank right. you, Joe. Now it's time to reach into our virtual mailbag once again and pull out a question from one of our beloved listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Ask a Nerd time is here. Today's question comes from Sean via our Facebook page. Sean recently read the free Spider-Man saga giveaway, which yeah. brings you up to speed on what's going on in the Spideyverse, and he's a little confused about why we needed one more day. Can you lay it down for him real quick, sure. Patrick? I can tell you why we needed one more day. We didn't need one more day. <laughs> we really didn't. It's, it's long been held by Marvel Editorial that, for whatever reason, poor writing, lack of creativity, I don't know, Maybe I'm being too harsh. I'm not an editor. But basically, they have held that the Spider-Man marriage to Mary Jane makes for a limited Spider-Man. Which is just stupid. I Yeah. I mean, I Ridiculous. disagree. Again, I'm not a writer. My stance has always been, if you can't come up with a way to tell interesting stories about a married character, find a better writer. Yeah, I totally agree. In a nutshell, one more day. Spider-Man was... makes a deal with the devil. 
to erase his marriage and he's, save his feeble aunt. Because the devil is now trading in relationships instead of souls, apparently. Yeah. It, it was so bad. It was I'm poorly sorry. executed, to I, say the uh, least. I, it makes me mad just thinking about it. <laughs> like, I've been reading Spider-Man my entire life. This is a guy who holds responsibility, personal responsibility above all else. Right. First of all, I don't care what's he get, what he gets out of the deal. He made a deal with the devil, and the devil farted reality back to him being single and, and Harry Osborn being alive, all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, organic web shooters are gone, thank God. Yeah. So some good stuff did come out of it. But yeah, one more day, no. We did not need that storyline. That said, Spider-Man has been better than it has been in years. Absolutely. It's one of the it's some of the best Spider-Man comics I've ever read. Yeah. I would say to a reader like Sean, who's thinking about coming back to the Spider-Man universe, just go ahead and skip one more day. You don't need to read it at all. And all it did was upset a lot of people. Absolutely start with Brand New Day. I say if you want to jump onto Spider-Man, start with Dan Slott's run as solo writer. Yeah, actually that is would be a much uh, better With this place. current big time storyline. Uh, it's been really good. Really good. And they've set up, again, they've set up like a new turn of events for Spider-Man. Where yeah, you can come on board quo is different. and you know like, well, he's been down on his luck and he hasn't a job. Well, now he's got a job. Getting a new and job. And now he's sort of got a steady girlfriend. And MJ is sort of in the picture. Yeah. And they're dealing with some things that have happened, but you're not going to be totally lost. Yeah. I think it was issue 647, 648. I believe that's correct. Yep. Thanks a lot for your question, Sean. That brings us to the end of another wonderful episode. If you liked what you episode heard, five. you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And big ups to everyone that rated us and left us glowing reviews. They really help, so please keep them coming, guys. If you can't get enough two-headed nerd or you've got a comic question that's been kicking your brain, Banana, you can post it on our Facebook page where you can become a fan and check out our show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. Or send an email to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You can follow my comic speculator blog where I write about comics new and old at worthpoint.com and follow me on Twitter at Matt Baumstein. And you can find updates to my webcomic at goodplusonline.com. Follow us on Twitter at goodplusonline. And stalk me personally at JoePatrick116. So until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Sayonara! Sayonara!